Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. As you're finding John chapter 6, I want to kind of start with a question. It's a simple question, but has a very profound meaning and a very profound answer. The question is simply this, who is Jesus Christ? It's a question that's been asked for centuries. As Jesus was arrested and put on trial, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He was asked if he was the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus himself questioned Peter. And he said to Peter, Peter, who do people say that I am? Peter responded, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets to which Jesus responded, Peter, who do you say that I am? To the Roman government in the first century, Jesus was a great nuisance. Emperor Trajan actually wrote in a letter to another Roman leader that Jesus was an absurd and extravagant superstition. Isn't that interesting? To the atheist of today, he's simply a figment of our imagination. From the earliest documents of the first century until today, we still ask the question, who is Jesus? Was he just a prophet? Was he just a teacher, a moral leader? If he was just a man, as some say, then our quest to seek him and to know him is worthless, wasted moments of our lives. If Jesus was just a man and he he didn't really come back from the dead, then just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, we of all people are to be most pitied. But what if he was something more? What if he was more than just a man? What if he was in fact God? And so we're starting a new sermon series this morning that we're calling I Am. And seven times through the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the phrase, I am, to describe himself. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to teach through each one of these passages. We're going to delve into it. We're going to try to understand more about who Jesus is. Now, if you've been a follower of Christ all your life, you've been a Christian for many, many years, I pray that your knowledge of Christ will deepen. I pray that your appreciation and love for him will increase. If you've never accepted Christ, if you're a guest with us this morning or you're watching from home, welcome. We're we're glad you're here from the fellowship hall in our overflow. We're glad you're here. But if you've never accepted Christ, I pray that as we walk through this text today and over the next several weeks that you'll gain an appreciation and an understanding for exactly who Jesus is. And it'll lead you to the point of understanding that you can find salvation in Christ. And so I want to start this morning with the first, and I'm going to kind of give you the list. I'm going to give you kind of where we're going so you can think about it and understand it. But there's seven times in the book of John, and I'm going to list these seven for you. I want you to see them where Jesus uses the phrase, I am. The first one is John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. We'll do that one this morning. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
John 10, 7, Jesus says, I am the door. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 15, 5, I am the vine. Seven times Jesus says these things in the Gospel of John. So we're going to spend our time this morning in John chapter 6. Now I want to give you just a little background on John chapter 6 and really the book of John to help you understand where we're going. I, I try to teach this way and I try to encourage you when we walk through Scripture, but we really don't ever want to take just one Scripture by itself and try to understand it. It'd be like taking a novel and randomly opening to a page and reading one sentence and trying to understand the novel. It'd be impossible to do. And so as we study scripture, we study not only the verse, but we study the chapter it came from, and we studied in the context of the entire book. So a little background about John chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles and they're open to John chapter 6 and it has little headings, you'll probably notice at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Right now, we said this a few weeks ago, I was teaching about the same idea, and it's probably 5,000 men, maybe an additional 5,000 women. If each family had two or three children, you're looking at twenty to 25,000 people that Jesus fed. But these people were hungry, right? People followed Jesus for physical meals. And so the crowds gathered, increased, and people wanted more and more to eat. And what you begin to see is these people would follow Jesus around and try to track him down. So what happens oftentimes in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that Jesus would do something amazing. He would have some form of an amazing teaching. And then he would try to get away just for a little peace and quiet, just for a little bit of time of prayer, just a little time to collect his thoughts. And what would oftentimes happen is that the people would track him down and follow him. So this same thing happened. He fed the 5,000. He tries to get away for a little peace, a little time of prayer. And the people track him down and follow him all the way to the other side of the sea. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter 6, 25. Jesus has fed the crowds. He's left. They've tracked him down and they followed him now. Here's what the scripture says. We have it on the screen. When they found him, right, they've been looking for him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi... When did you come here? Right? Now, in other words, what are you doing here, Jesus? We've been looking for you. And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now just pause for a second because Jesus is saying to these people, listen, you're not looking for me because I did something amazing. You're looking for me because I gave you food to eat. Right? And I think sometimes when we read scripture, we ought to try to insert ourselves in. We ought to try to understand what scripture is teaching and understand what these people are going through. And Jesus wants these people to know, listen, you're looking for me because I'm giving you something good to eat. And I just wonder how many of us would kind of fall into that category today. Like we're, we're seeking Christ. We want to follow Christ because of the things he can do for us. Jesus says, listen, don't, don't seek after food that's going to perish. Don't seek after the physical things, but look for the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work 
do you perform? Which is a very interesting thing to ask after he had just fed the 5,000, right? And I think sometimes we fall into this trap as well. Like, Jesus, what have you done for me lately? Like, I'll follow you as long as things are going good. But when things turn south a little bit or it gets difficult, I'm going to kind of stray from you. Like, what have you done for me lately? Right? And then here it is in verse 31, kind of the, the focus of what we want to see this morning. Jesus, or excuse me, these people say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And here it is. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now I want to pull truth out of this, right? My intent every time I preach, every time I teach, is to pull truth from the text, not to add truth in. So the first truth I want you to see this morning, really what Jesus is getting at in this phrase, number one, Jesus claims that he is Messiah. Right? If you just read through this and don't really understand the history, which we're going to think through together, and haven't really made these points of connections, you wouldn't understand what Jesus is doing here. But Jesus is making this clear statement in his phrase that he is Messiah. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of the purpose of the book of John, and then we're going to back up in history several hundred years so you can understand this a little more clearly. But John is writing the book of uh, John, the gospel of John, in order to teach the people that Jesus is Messiah. Now, listen, we have 2,000 years of teaching, of commentaries, of studies. We have the entire canon of Scripture that we can study, 2,000 years worth of all the things we've learned about Jesus. We get it, right? Like, we understand that Jesus is Messiah. We see that through Scripture. We see that time and time again. But John is writing to a first century audience, to Jewish people primarily that didn't know anything about who Jesus was, right? At this point, when, when this happens in John chapter 6, the Gospels had not yet been written. All they had was the Old Testament. Paul had not yet written his letters. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had not been written. The Bible had not been made into a book like this. There were just individual scrolls, typically, that people had. And so they didn't fully understand who Jesus was. And so John writes this book with a very specific intent. And he gives it to us. And I'm going to read it. You don't have to flip back and listen. But he gives it to us in John chapter 20. Right? He's finished up the Gospel. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this. But these are written, right? He's talking about his book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So the intent, right, in this book, the intent of the Gospel of John is to convince these first century people that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, John does something very interesting and something that's very fun for me because I, I enjoy history. John is going to connect what Jesus does and says to the Old Testament. In fact, what we understand about the Old Testament is that the Jewish people all through the centuries, right, before Jesus was born, were taught that Messiah would one day appear. So they grew up understanding one day Messiah is going to come. That was what they understood. That's what they were taught. And so their entire life, really for generations and for centuries, people were looking for Messiah. So what Jesus is doing in this phrase, and I'm going to show it to you, he's making the connection to these Jewish people the Messiah that has been promised in the Old Testament is found in me. That's what Jesus says. 
I am Messiah. And I want you to watch how he does it, okay, because it's interesting. One of the big portions of history, one of the big things that the Jewish people studied and looked back to, and by the way, practicing Jews today still look back on, was the Exodus story. Now, some of you are familiar with the story of the Exodus, right? The Jewish people are enslaved in Egypt. They're there for 400 years. God goes to Moses and says, listen, I'm going to send you to the Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. After 10 plagues, they're released into the wilderness. They wander 40 years, eventually make it into the promised land. But that story kind of begins when the Lord speaks first to Moses through the burning bush. Now, I want you to listen to what happens. You don't have to flip back there if you don't want to, but I'm in Exodus chapter 3. I'm making this connection for you, okay? I'm, I'm going to connect Jesus saying I am the bread of life with what's going to happen in Jewish history. And the light bulb for these first century Jews is going to come on, and I hope it does for you. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. The Bible says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. He's speaking to Moses, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, verse 13, we have this on the screen. Then Moses said to God, it's very interesting how Moses kind of debates with the Lord. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, right? God doesn't refer to himself here as a deity or, or the creator or the most powerful being in the universe, although those things are true. Instead, God refers to himself as I am. The same in the past, in the present, and in the future, right? Eternal, preexistent, unchanging, infinite, one writer said it like this. I loved how he kind of summarized this. He said, I am is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His plans are not contingent upon any circumstances. He promises that he will be who he will be, that he is, he will be the eternally constant God. He stands ever present and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what he wills to accomplish. Now, here's what you need to understand, right? When the Jewish people heard the phrase, I am, they knew what it meant. Jesus didn't have to explain to them. John didn't have to explain to them. Nobody had to kind of gather their attention and remind them of the burning bush and how God referred to himself. This was so ingrained in their history. It was so ingrained in their worship. It was so ingrained in who God was to them. When Jesus refers to, his phrase, to the phrase, I am, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Jesus very simply is claiming to be Messiah. 
Now, here's what we do, and this is important, right? When we hear the phrase, I am, we think of God as the same yesterday and today and forever. And that is absolutely true. But what we typically do in that is we think about what he can do for us. Like if he's the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, what can he do for me? What has he done for me? What is he doing for me now? What is he going to do for me in the to kind of make this connection? But the connection for the Jewish people would have been clear, right? The I am statement would have been clear, no doubt. No doubt they would have understood what he's talking about. When he uses the phrase bread, they would have thought back again to the wandering in the wilderness, right? Because they've already mentioned the idea of our fathers and the food that was given to them in the wilderness. So let me just read you a, a, a text very quickly. Exodus chapter 16. You probably know this story. But as the Lord sent Moses in, he goes to Pharaoh. The people are released. They wander into the wilderness. For 40 years they walk around. And just so you'll understand, they didn't take enough food with them to survive. Uh, they, they weren't survivalists that had these big packs of food or stores out in the desert. They'd go find the food. The Lord had to provide for them on a regular basis what they would eat. So Exodus 16, beginning in verse 13. As the people are in the wilderness for 40 years, the Bible says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat, right? God provided for these people as they wandered in the wilderness, this manna. He provided for them this food. And we see this idea back in John chapter 6, right? These people had chased Jesus across the Sea of Galilee. They're hungry. They want some physical bread. And they said in John 6, 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat, right? They're still on the physical. They're thinking about the bread. They're thinking about Jesus baking them up some bread, giving them something to eat, right? Because they're hungry. And Jesus said to them in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Right? There's this idea of spiritual versus physical. And, and, far, and I preach about this a lot. Sometimes I feel like a broken record saying it, but I can't help but talk about it because it just permeates everything about who we are. But it's very easy for us as followers of Christ living in this society to get caught up in the physical and to miss the spiritual, right? And so Jesus uses this idea of bread. Now, bread's interesting for us because in our culture today, bread's not that big of a deal. Now, we like bread. Right? We're, we're coming up on a season uh, as if we didn't eat enough during COVID-19, right? Now we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is kind of the time we like to eat, Right? And we like good bread. We like rolls or biscuits or cornbread or whatever. You, you kind of go down the list of your favorite. My daughter made some, uh, some pumpkin bread this weekend. It's fantastic. Really, really good. But for us, bread is kind of an add-on, right? If we don't have rolls at dinner, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we, we, we may be upset for a moment or two because we like bread, but that's about it. We're still going to eat the steak or the potatoes or the vegetables or the meat or whatever. It's just an add-on for us, but for people in the first century, and by the way, for a lot of people still living today, bread was the staple of what they ate. It was the main part of their diet. Like if you go to Africa today, and, and some of you have gone with us to New Day Orphanage and other parts of Africa and Zambia, they eat what's called in Shima. And in Shima is where they take corn 
grind it into a very, very fine powder and they boil water and dump the powder in there and it makes a paste and they roll the paste up in their hands. It's very interesting. And when you try to do it, they laugh at you because there's a very specific technique to rolling this thing up. And they put a little indention in it and they use it to dip up what they call the relish, which are the vegetables. Typically they have not many, but a few. But that, that corn meal, that meal, that bread-like substance is the center of what they eat. If you take that out, there's very little for them to eat. And it causes them to feel full, right? You go to parts of Guatemala, same thing. Go to parts of Romania, same thing, right? Bread for a lot of people in the world and really throughout history was kind of the main thing. And so we need to get that idea because we think about bread as being just an add-on. When these people were thinking about bread, it was everything that they had, everything that they needed in order to survive. So here's what Jesus is saying to them and he's saying to us 2,000 years later, right? Jesus is saying, listen, you want the physical things to fill your stomach. I'm offering you something of infinitely more value. You think bread or maybe in our society, the physical things are what you need to sustain you. I'm telling you, there's so much more. Right? The, the writer here, John, as he's quoting Jesus, isn't saying Jesus is like some fresh baked loaf of bread with nice sesame seeds on top. He's saying Jesus is everything they need, need to live and survive and thrive, right? And so we fast forward 2,000 years to our lives and we understand Jesus is more than just physical. Jesus is the spiritual. Jesus is the eternal. Of all of our longings, our hope and our joy and our peace, he provides for all of those things. I'm reminded of the conversation he had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Right? He, he always did just, just such a phenomenal job of taking just these normal, casual conversations and turning them to the spiritual, which, by the way, what, what a great example for us. When's the last time you took a normal conversation at work and turned it to the spiritual, right? But he's talking to the woman at the well, and they're at a well, and there's water being brought up, and they're feeding, and they're, they're, they're giving water to their animals, and they're taking it back to their home. And John 4, 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, and he's looking at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, we, we have a lot of needs in this earth, don't we? We have a lot of physical needs. We ha- have a lot of emotional needs. Right? We, we need the, 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 the idea of acceptance. We need love. We need hope. We, we need joy. And the problem is far too many people look for those things in the wrong places. And they seek out other people to bring those things to them. Or material possessions. Or power. Or whatever prestige And if we're not careful, the desire to seek out those things leads sometimes to addictions for some people, drugs, alcohol. What we begin to see in this scripture is Jesus says, listen, I'm so much more than the physical. I can satisfy all of your needs, all of your desires. I can give you true hope, true peace, true love. Jesus said, listen, there's so much more than the physical. The physical is not the essence. It's the spiritual that you need to crave and seek after. But there's a third thing I want you to see here this morning. Go down to verse 47. I think we have this on the screen as we kind of wind this down. Truly, truly, I I say to you, this is Jesus talking again. Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Here's the third truth I want you to see this morning. Jesus offers life. He claims to be Messiah. He backs it up. He shows that the spiritual is the essence, not the physical. And then truth number three, Jesus offers life through salvation. I want you to see, pull that scripture up again, and it's got kind of these bold points to it. And a couple of things I want you to notice. John is very good in his gospel about contrasting things. Light versus darkness, death versus life, good versus evil. And he draws these clear lines, these clear distinctions between the two. And he's done the same thing here. So I want you to kind of see these contrasts that he shows us between life and death. We see it in these verses. And I've, I've kind of made these a little bolder so you can see the contrast. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. There it is. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Right? And you kind of begin to look. And by the way, when you study scripture, a great way to do it is looking for words that are used more than once, patterns. And it's pretty clear here there's this pretty interesting uh, discussion between the idea of life and death between how to receive life and how to find death. It's the same sort of idea we find in other parts of the gospel. Right? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 1, 4, in him, speaking of Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. I read to you just a, a few moments ago kind of the, the main purpose for John writing his gospel, John chapter 20, verse 31. But I didn't finish the verse. I wanted to wait till the end. Because John says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? He wants you to believe that he's Messiah. Here's the second part of that verse. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. There's kind of two areas I want to think about as I finish up this morning. Two areas of life I want you to see. The first one is abundant life. Right, John 10, 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that he may have life and have it abundantly. You ever feel like sometimes in this world you're just eking by? You're just barely making it? And that could be financially. That, that could be emotionally. That could be physically. You're just exhausted. You ever think I'm just kind of barely making it through? I sure would like to have a little more abundance in my life, and you kind of fill in the blank about what that might look like. Jesus helps us understand in Scripture, listen, if you'll follow me, I will give you life, and I will give it to you in abundance. Now, this isn't a name it, claim it gospel. That's not what I'm teaching. This isn't a prosperity gospel that you just claim it and pray about it, and you're going to get rich. This is Christ promised us as we walk through the valleys, he's walking there with us, Right? And he's going to give us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it in order to survive. And so through, through Christ, we find hope and we find peace and we find joy. And I think far too many people don't understand that about the, the, the Christian life. The Christ says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. So we see this idea of living in peace 
and living in joy. So let me, let me just encourage you, no matter where you are and what you're struggling through, and, and I, I know people come in a church this size with multiple services and people online, wherever you're watching from, in the fellowship hall and overflow, I know there's a lot of baggage. And sometimes that baggage will, will weight you down. Sometimes it'll cause you to think differently. Sometimes it'll cause you to, to find this place of, of, of hopelessness or despair. I just want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, there is hope in Christ. There's absolutely hope in Christ. And just because you've never experienced it doesn't mean it's real. Just because you've, you've never found it doesn't mean you can't do it now, right? Just because you're in a difficult time and a, and a struggle doesn't mean it's always going to be like that. There is hope in Christ. And I'm happy to share, you, share with that with you here in just a few minutes and help you understand that better. That's life abundantly. But I want to finish with the idea, idea of eternal life, right? Jesus says that I am the bread of life. And many of you have prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you're here this morning or maybe you're online or wherever you're watching from and you've never repented of your sins and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible is very clear. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So there's this clear indication in Scripture that if you repent of your sins, if you turn from your sins towards Christ, if you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. I'd love to talk with you about that here in just a few minutes when we do our time of invitation. I'm going to stand here at the end, and when the service is over, you're welcome to come down and talk to me about that. But I would just pray, man, if you're already a believer, you've kind of been there, done that, and you're trying to grow in your faith, and you're trying to walk in your faith, every time during our invitation, you should be praying for the person in here that hasn't. Even the person that needs to continue to grow in their faith, or maybe the person that's never truly accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I want you to pray about that here in just a few minutes. You know, I thought a lot this week as we're kind of beginning this sermon series on I am, right? And there's going to be seven different verses we'll look at. The first one was today. I thought about the phrase I am. We use that phrase a lot, don't we? I am hungry or I am tired or I am happy or we use the word to describe ourselves. I'm a husband or I'm a father, or I'm a pastor, and on and on that could go, and we'll use that phrase probably thousands of times throughout our lives, but one day, and we all know this, one day we're going to all go away, aren't we? And none of us are eternal, not our bodies at least. And so all the I am's of me, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm a husband, I'm a father, one day those things will go away. Our lives are temporary, it won't last forever, but when Jesus says I am, I am the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the great I am. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our trust. We give our lives to him. And he does great things as we trust and follow him. Let me, let me pray for us today as we finish up. Father, we just thank you that Jesus is the great I am. We thank you for what he's given, for what he's done, for what he offers. We, we thank you that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that he is Messiah. We thank you, Father, that he offers us life abundantly and life eternally. And so, Father, I pray for this truth. I pray that it would convict us, challenge us, change us. Father, give us maybe hope that we don't have. Maybe we can find joy that we've never experienced before. But Father, I pray you would just speak very clearly to us. Lord, during this time of invitation, if there's someone here that has never prayed to receive Christ, I pray that through the, the power of the Spirit right now, Lord, that they would give their hearts and minds to Jesus. Father, allow us just to sense your presence in a real and powerful way. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.